Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. Peekaboo. <laughs> Peekaboo, I see you. I love you. Oh, so cute. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm a bit delirious today. Oh, my God. I'm so sleepy today. Yeah, Ooh. a little slow. Yeah, a little slow. But that's okay. That's nothing different being slow, but a bit more tired perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, a second interview with a job I'm going for at the moment. Oh, that's uh, exciting. And they always do that usual thing like, tell us a little bit more about yourself just to break the ice. Yeah. You know, with a with a group of people. It was a panel interview, so I had three people. And I'm like, oh, I've had a very colourful life, Kate, as <laughs> you know. I do. I've been there the whole time. Yeah, and I always have a few stories to tell. So giving me the challenge of, you know, in two minutes or less, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh. <laughs> and I have no filter, so I'm like, well, what do you want to know? Yeah, see, everybody, <laughs> I'm here to tell you my stories. Anyway, fingers crossed. I get, you know, to the next round of, I don't know, three or four interviews. You've got to go through so many interviews these oh, days. it's crazy. I know. Hi, Kate. Oh, hi, Dom. Welcome <laughs> to the Today's Podcast. <laughs> what are you going to say to the Today Show? And I'm like, uh, wrong place. <laughs> yeah, wrong place, wrong time. Um, I'm very excited about your job prospects. Um, I'm excited to wrap up our uh, three-parter today. But first, Dom, do you have any housekeeping? Housekeeping. housekeeping. Yes, absolutely. We always have housekeeping yep. because it's important. It is. You got to keep your if you keep your space tidy. Yes, exactly, <laughs> Kate. No one likes a messy or soggy bottom. No. As Mary Berry says. Yeah, that's true. But in terms of our housekeeping, it is stock standard this week, which means go check out our socials at shitten.bricks.podcast. Yep. I did mention it. I dropped it at school today, like to yeah. a couple of teachers, and they were like, oh, my God. They were very excited. So if they are listening, Jess and Hannah, hello and welcome to the pod. Uh, if not, then they missed their shout out. So I'll have to tell them that, um, yeah, but they looked and they were like, oh my God, there's like 70 episodes. You're like legit. And I was like, well, yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> so have it's a listen. It's the real deal. It is. Hi Jess. Hi Hannah. Yeah. Um, sorry, but I'm of the, the gay persuasion. So. Oh, why are you apologizing? Don't be fooled by my beautiful, melodious sexual voice. <laughs> or do be fooled by it and be lulled into some exciting part of your life. Trust me. 
Um, back to housekeeping. Yes, please. I digress. <laughs> Patreon, as always, please go check out our Patreon. It's a great way to support uh, creatives like Kate and I. We yep. don't get paid for this unless y'all give us a little bit of your pocket change, please. your coffee money. Yeah. It's very simple, really easy. Again, podcast on Patreon. Sign up and become one of our brickies. That's it, exactly. And I think that um, we are going to include a bit more content on our Patreon. And Dom and I are just like navigating the whole Patreon space as well. Um, so if you are one of our patrons, we love you first and foremost. But what would you like to see more of? What do you want to hear more of? Is there something that we've talked about in one of our pods and you're like, do something about that? We want to hear that. Let us know because we'll do it. But yes, we are going to ramp that up. It's just been a crazy time for everybody for the start of this year for Dom and I. So we are working on it. And then um, this week's been crazy too, uh, because whilst you are listening to this app toward the end of March, we have done back to back to back recordings. So we're, we're making sure that we've got good content for you all. um, And then for Dom to head away on his trip, as well so um yeah we're working our little tookies tookasai what's the plural of tookus tookuses a lot of tookuses a lot of tookus (laughs) we got a lot of tookus um yeah so let us know but we will we're going to brainstorm some ideas and come up with some cool stuff maybe even um yeah a little special merchy something i have some ideas dom's just looking at me like are we and i've just been thinking so we're gonna we'll discuss but yeah let us know if there's something in particular you want us to talk about rate review gosh we can do books we've got movies and stuff that we love so yeah we love you let us know anything's on the table kate and i have got no shame and i'm waiting lots of courage i'm still waiting to hear what helen from the forestal college library has to put out for us because um yeah i mean this hasn't (laughs) these haven't been released yet we would have we have potentially already done something by now so make sure you do jump on our socials if you missed that (laughs) because no doubt helen's going to be on to us She's going to be in there like swimwear. Exactly. Whatever she gets us to do as a punishment for, for Kate's stealing a book. criminal activity. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. yes, thanks for that. And, yeah, rate and review, as Kate five said. Stars. So five stars. Five. We are a five-star pod. Five That's star the pod. only quality that we offer. That's right. And that is the end of Housekeeping. Nice. All right. Well, again, for this app, we are continuing on with our book that I have for all of us uh, to share with you. Yep. Those are words. Uh, Get me out of here. (laughs) Foolish and Fearless Convict Escapes by Pauline Deves, illustrated by Brent Wilson. We are up to uh, chapter number five. So we've gone chapter one and two for our first app, three and four for our second. And it makes sense to go chronologically, seeing as we are discussing the phobia of chronophobia which is the fear of time or passing time often experienced by prisoners also experienced by anyone who heard of something called COVID um, and was trapped Mm. in their homes so everybody's experienced a little bit of this and it might give someone the desire to break out and be free so I'm going to tell you a little bit about James Wilson's story now James Wilson he was born James McNally, so that makes sense. 
He was born in 1836 <laughs> and he was born in County Down in Ireland. Fantastic. Mm. That's all the way. But we've got an Irish boy. Um, sure, sure. James McNally. Uh, his occupation, he was a soldier. His description, oh, pop it on the dating profile. Five yeah. foot eight inches, brown hair, green eyes, oval face, a middling stout. Okay. Branded with an A D. No, branded with a D. <laughs> looking at the illustration so he was branded with the letter d that's why maybe what Uh, they should have said branded with the letter d not branded with a d um he was a deserter so they branded him with the d as a deserter um now his crime was deserting the british army his sentence was life in jail so he was transported to western australia and he arrived in western australia in 1868 uh he escaped from Fremantle Prison. Shout out to Fremantle. Hi, Fremantle. Again, if you live in Fremantle, one of our very first stories, there is one of our um, people that who is buried there and his headstone would still lie there. That was James Porter. Gosh, I'm going back now. That's three No, weeks. that was Moondine, Moondine Joe, Joe, actually. Oh, my God, Moondine Joe. Go and see if you can find his grave, please, and um, respectfully take a photo. He died in 1900. So if you see... Um, Joe Belitho, I think it was, wasn't it? Oh, I'm really testing something like that. But I did find a photo of the gravesite, and it was on our socials oh, for that week. There you so go. Yeah. it's still there, folks. It's not like it's one of those old ones Pretend that one. you can never find. Okay, all right. But here is James Wilson's story. My name is James Wilson. I'm an Irishman in a de- dreadful prison in Fremantle, Australia, half a world away from where I was born. I needed a job, so as a young man, I joined the British Army. Many Irishmen did, even though Britain was ruling our country and we yearned to be free. There were secret groups all over the land plotting to rebel and drive the British out. If the British thought you were a spy, you could be arrested, so for some people it became too dangerous to stay in Ireland. They escaped to America, Canada or Australia. Me? I heard there was a rebellion about to start, so I deserted the army to help with the fight but I was betrayed by a spy, captured by the British and sentenced to be hanged. I suppose, I know, I was suppose I was lucky that they decided to let me live and instead they punished me uh, and the other rebels by sending us to a prison in Australia. Mm. Mm. I mean, think of that, you're not being, I mean, you wouldn't get to see family. Yeah. It wasn't great conditions being over on these boats. No. And it was literally a six-month ride on a boat yeah. and, like, foul conditions. I couldn't stand that. I don't particularly like the ferry from Sorrento, so I wouldn't stand the uh, boat from London to Australia in the 1800s. It sounds like a P&O cruise it does. in today's situation. Exactly. <laughs> if you don't get COVID too. <laughs> so James goes on to say, Years I have been here and my health is failing. Some of my companions have died. Others are giving up hope. Some are going mad. So I decided to write some letters. I wrote uh, that we were in a dreadful state and that we felt we'd been abandoned by our countrymen. I begged for help. The letters were smuggled out with one of the visitors to the prison, so to be sent to Ireland and America and anywhere else that true Irish patriots live. I had little hope that they would uh, lead out to our rescue. Well, I'm going to do that one again. I had little hope that they would lead to our rescue. 
But word soon came from sailors on an American ship that my letters had reached their country. Have you ever done message in a bottle, anything like that? No. Or a time capsule, like at school? Um, Probably, but I never, yeah. I mean, if we did them at primary school, I moved around a lot in primary school mm. and um, I didn't do one at high school. I do recall there was one of my colleagues who I uh, work with now, um, he was in charge of the year sevens and got them to write um, their time capsules and like they filed them away and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then the year 12s um, that, you know, all the sevens that had become year 12s. So six years later, they were like, oh, hey, Mr. So-and-so, where are our time capsules? So the year 12s <laughs> asked Mr. So-and-so to get the uh, time capsule stuff out because he had taken them and, and put them away and kept them safe and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Uh-oh. Only to be told that he didn't put them away and store them. In fact, he was like, well, they're not really going to ask for these, so he <laughs> threw them away. <laughs> he threw them away like a few weeks later. He was like, nah, they're not going to ask for these. They won't remember this. <laughs> the year 12s were devastated. They're like, oh, no, Mr. So-and-so, I can't believe you did that. That's so bad. And then he left the school, so it didn't <laughs> I was going to say you so conveniently didn't mention his name in case it was still there. Correct. No. But this was a great opportunity. He could have gone home and like handwritten a bunch of fake letters and surely. just sold it as I the know. real words. Yeah, that is so true. Um, actually, <laughs> I wonder. I have a piece of artwork which was like a time capsule for me. It's a self-portrait that I did in primary school. I'm not going to show uh, you yet, Dom. What I'll do is I'll okay. take a photo of it. And I will give it to you and send it to you and you can put it on the socials. And to be honest, I would beg anybody to see the difference. It's the same sure. picture. It's basically like I took a selfie in primary school. Like it's Princess Diana. Unbelievable. This self-portrait is stunning. So make sure you check out my <laughs> self-portrait side by side uh, on our socials. I'll send that to you after, Dom. Remind me. Um, but no, have you done a, did you do a time capsule? Have you done a? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've done a few, but I don't think I've ever been there to see. Like, they're, they're not set up so you, you know, when you get to year 12 or whatever, yeah. they're, they're just like, oh, we'll leave this for 40 years and then we'll open it again another time when, when they feel like it. Yeah. So I'm sure I've left some pearlers for the generations to come. Absolutely. Do you know what we should do? We should do one. And bury it at your folks' place. Like, talk to them and, like, everyone can put something in or write a little note because your folks' place is just going to be there forever. Yeah. Um, we should do that and put it, like, at the back with the veggie garden or where the old shed used to be, which I didn't realise was knocked down, by the way, until last <laughs> two, two weeks ago. I was like, where's the shed? Um, but we should do that. That would be fun. All right, back to James Wilson's story. So it turns out the Americans had found some of these letters, which I think is a pretty amazing feat, seeing as they were smuggled out and then sent. And then these American, this American ship had received some of these letters. Mm. So um, after that, the months dragged on with no news. I was miserable. Would there be no way out of this awful place? Finally, I heard that some kind Irish supporters in Boston had taken up our cause. They had raised money from people all over America to lease a ship hire a crew and sail to Western Australia to rescue us, pretending to be whalers. Fucking hey. How about that's that? A, that is a fair dinkum effort. That to... is a fair dinks. 
two right no. in the fair income department. That is. Now the <laughs> ship had arrived in has arrived in Fremantle. Some locals have passed the news on to us that the rescue is about to happen. I have five companions who are ready to risk escaping as well. We try to act normally and not show any excitement. We've heard that the ship's captain, Captain Anthony, has been buying food, hiring new crewmen, and passing on stories of his homeland. Respectable new people are always welcomed in this isolated place. Someone told me that Anthony even had dinner with the governor. The governor likes to think he's clever. Little does he know, he'll look like a fool tomorrow. <laughs> I'm living for the uh, the reputations these governors across all these stories that you've told us, Kate. They're like, fuck the governor. Yeah, he's the, stupid. The governor's got a vendetta. It's probably the same governor, to be honest, that we've spoken about in previous times. <laughs> it's just one guy. He's just a dunce. <laughs> okay. Uh, today is Easter Monday, the day of the Perth regatta. There are boat races and everyone's busy. The six of us are working outside the prison on the vegetable garden, so slipping away won't be difficult. Our rescuers have arranged for horses and carts to be hidden nearby so that we can get to Rockingham and our rescue ship, the Catalpa. Catalpa. Catalpa? Sure. As quickly as the bumpy roads will let us. It's 16 miles to the south. The telegraph wires uh, have been cut by a man friendly to our cause. So even if someone sees us, they won't be able to send any messages to police. This is a full-blown operation. Mission impossible. Yeah, they've really thought about this. This isn't just like, oh, I'm going to bash a hole in the wall with a sledgehammer <laughs> and run. I'm not going to put on the skin of a kangaroo and hop out of here. <laughs> This is the legit. This is. Uh, yeah, save one of the most well-laid plans till uh, till the third app. For uh, 50 minutes until we go. 40, 20, 10. I give the signal. One by one, we slip away into the wagons, hanging on for dear life. The countryside is deserted. Almost everyone is at the regatta. We start to relax. Could this clever escape plan work? Then, Disaster. <laughs> A man feeding his horse sees us. I hope he'll go on walking and working and keep his mouth shut, but it's a foolish hope. He'll be rewarded if he reports escaped convicts. He throws down the hay, jumps onto the horse and rides off towards Fremantle. Uh-oh. My friend Michael is driving the cart. He's brave and strong and just a little bit mad. That's actually, <laughs> that's on my hinge profile, actually. Brave, strong, just a little bit mad. He whips the horse and shouts and swears, trying to make it go faster. It's risky because we could easily break a wheel or do our horse an injury. We reach Rockingham, but are we safe? There's a small boat waiting for us when we get to the shore. We jump in and row as fast as we can towards our rescue ship. Storm clouds are gathering. The cart ride was bad, but to be caught in a storm at sea in a little boat would be much worse. Suddenly, we realise we're being chased. The steamship, Georgette, and a police cutter after us. Not Georgette. Mm. The clouds are getting closer. The wind is howling. We row until we think our arms will drop off. Then Michael yells that our followers are turning back. Perhaps the steamship is running out of fuel. The police on the cutter must have feared drowned. We all cheer. Yay. But our boat is still being tossed <laughs> about. <laughs> Yay. <cheer>. Yay. <laughs> Um, our boat is still being tossed about. How will we survive the night? Our rescuers had sent word for us to row right up to the Catalpa. The crew were going to throw rope ladders over the side so that we can climb onto the deck. 
but that would be impossible now. If we tried to climb up, we'd be dashed to pieces. All night the storm rages. We have no food or fresh water. We're all seasick. We can barely control our boat. Nobody sleeps and morning is a long time coming. A night at sea in a storm. Like I'm just picturing that scene from the perfect storm Mm -hmm. type thing. I could not think of anything, yeah, worse. Yeah, me either. Me either. Especially when everybody's seasick, they can't control the boat. So they're basically just all lolling about the bottom of this tiny rowboat, spewing on each other and like trying to just hold out until the morning. We no Mm. thanks. Okay, finally, the storm is dying down. We head for the catalpa and scramble up the ladders. We hide in the captain's cabin, down among the food stores under the tables, anywhere we can get out of sight. Surely we must be safe now. But no, it seems that the police are back. They must have taken on more coal. The steamship is coming toward us. We hear the superintendent roar. I demand you hangover. Mm, Hangover. I demand that you hand over the escaped convicts. I know they're aboard. Give them up or we'll fire upon you. We don't believe him. They wouldn't dare fire a cannon, would they? They fire two shots. (laughs) (laughs) Michael and I are hiding in the galley. He tells me that they're just trying to scare us. I tell him they're succeeding. (laughs) (laughs) We hear one of the policemen yell that if we don't show ourselves, they're going to blow up the ship. I'd wanted to escape Fremantle Prison more than anything in the world, but I'm beginning to wonder if it's worth it. So far, we've been bumped in a storm, been seasick, wet, hungry and thirsty, and now someone wants to blow us to bits. (laughs) And not in a good way. There's some serious commitment on everyone's level here. Correct. To, like, you know, the people that are sailing from America to come rescue these people they've never met before and they've just found, I don't know, a message in a bottle and gone, oh, yeah, let's do this. We'll raise some money and go rescue some people. We'll go rescue some people that we've never met in their life, but we know they're Irish, so off we go. Yeah. Um, So they're underneath. So um, Michael and James are hiding. They're wondering what's going to happen. So James says, should we give up? I asked Michael. Never, he said. I would rather die. Wouldn't you? Um, I say... (laughs) 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 let me think about that let's Um, just do a list of pros and cons actually like out of things that i would like to do dying's probably not in the top 10 if i'm yeah that's fair yeah at that moment our captain shouts to the police and points to the american flag flying high above the deck of the catalpa he says that we have now sailed so far out of Fremantle that we're in the indian ocean not in australian waters anymore America and Britain are two different nations. If a British ship fired on an American ship, it would start a war with America. Did they really want to go to war with America? Yes, shouts some of the policemen. (laughs) No, says the superintendent. We do not want to go to war with your country, but we will write to ports all over the world and tell them of your escape. That's some bad PR for the (laughs) Catalpa. That could mean trouble. British ships everywhere would be looking for us. The Georgette tries to stay close to our ship. The police want to push us back into Australian waters. We listen as our captain and his crew discuss the course we should take. We must stay away from any ports where British ships gather. As British officers could demand to come on board and search us, we could be sent back to prison. Finally, we leave our pursuers behind. 
It may be a dangerous journey, but I have a feeling all will be well. We are surrounded by a blue sea and are on our way to a land where we will be welcome. It's fortunate indeed that I did write those letters. Wow. Dom, do you want to know what Kate. happened to James? Well, I hope they didn't go to Chile and make friends with one of, what's his <laughs> name from last week, yeah. Bill Buckley, no, yeah. um, Billy um, Hunt. Yeah, and... Billy Hunt and D- Charles Darwin. Yeah, that's true. <sighs> well, here is what happened to James. James and his five companions reached America safely. James got married and had children in America and stayed there for the rest of his life before he died in 1921. Wow. How cool. He actually got away. He got away. He, it was a legit escape. So he was born in 1836 and died in 1921. So he lived to a ripe old age of 80s. Uh, I don't do maths that fast. 26 to 21? Yeah. No, wait. 36 to 21. Ah, yeah. Well, that's impressive. Yeah. Okay. Do you want uh, fun facts on Irish convicts? Uh, Does Kate shit in the woods? I did once. Never again. (laughs) I don't camp. We're aware of this. (laughs) (laughs) Only if I'm really busting. Yeah. Okay, here's some fun facts about Irish convicts. Many convicts transported to Australia were Irish. Some had committed crimes in England and were transported from there. Others came directly from Ireland. Many were common criminals, but others had been convicted of opposing the British government that ruled Ireland. The word Fenian was used to describe members of groups who wanted Ireland to be ruled by Irish people. The Irish were regarded by many as different and even inferior because they spoke a different language and were Catholic. Seven Irish convicts, four men and three women, arrived in Australia on the first fleet, which sailed from England. Other ships left from Ireland carrying only Irish convicts. Later, immigrant ships brought large numbers of free Irish people to Australia after a terrible famine broke out in 1845. The famine was caused by the loss of the potato crop on which many people depended. The Great Potato Famine. Convicts who escaped were celebrated by those left behind. Many could not read, so information was passed on in the form of songs. Music Mm. halls were popular places of entertainment where events of the day were reviewed. Imagine being able to get your news by beautiful music. I would love that. That's the way I would uh, want my news delivered. As any of our regular listeners know, I was recently in Ireland for my best friend's wedding Mm -hmm. and on the, I don't know, 30th day of celebration, my goodness, (laughs) an Irish wedding is no joke. They had like a very traditional folk singer come in and no joke, this man was 340 years old and (laughs) played, sang, played one man, one man band all by himself. He sang for about four hours, five hours, non-stop, wow. did not stop. And he did. they did all like very traditional Irish music. It was probably my favourite day. He was amazing and it was wow. so fascinating to hear the stories, the elaborate stories that they tell yeah. through their song. And then even near the end of the night, they opened the mic up to anybody in the audience to come up and tell other stories that have been passed down through their families because there's just so many of these tales that aren't really documented anywhere. So people just started sharing. And fair enough, I thought 
after, I don't know, how many bottles of whatever I was drinking, <laughs> I thought it was fair that dad, my dad and I should contribute to these songs. Yeah. So he did the theme song to Melbourne Demons Football Club. Fantastic. And I did Nancy Sinatra, These Boots Are Made For Walking. Oh so <laughs> That's amazing. I love that contrast too. That's so perfect. <laughs> That's my fun fact on Irish, Irish comics. That's amazing. The Irish tradition of folk songs written to oppose those in authority was continued in Australia. Frank the poet, McNamara, was convicted, was a convict transported from Ireland in 1832. He is credited with many poems as well as a version of the song The Wild Colonial Boy. Here is a part of one song written about the famous escape by Irish convicts aboard the Catalpa. It was sung to the tune of Botany Bay. Oh, I don't know that one. How does Botany Bay go? I don't know. Uh, I'll just read it. I don't know it. Yeah. We'll work it out. A noble whale ship and commander called the Catalpa, they say, came out to Western Australia and took six bold Fenians away. This is the chorus. Come all you screws, warders and jailers, remember Perth Regatta Day. Take care of the rest of the Fenians or the Yankees will steal them away. (laughs) That's awesome. I like that. That was good. Uh, The Battle of Vinegar Hill was an uprising of mainly Irish convicts in Western Sydney in 1804. More than 200 convicts left a government farm and urged others to join them. They raided farms for food, rum, guns and ammunition. They planned to take over the colony, steal ships and then go back to Ireland. The rebellion was defeated by soldiers. Many of the convicts were killed, eight executed and many more severely punished. Many people of Irish heritage, convict and free, have made a contribution to Australia. Prime Ministers Joseph Lyons, Ben Shifley and John Curtin were all of Irish heritage. Peter Laylor, a leader of the rebellion at the Eureka Stockade on Victoria's goldfields, was Irish, as was explorer Robert O'Hara Burke. My grade six teacher was a direct descendant of Peter Laylor at the Eureka wow, Stockade. Stockade. That's amazing. Yes. Oh, we should do, I should do a um, Bushrangers episode and I should do this, the Gold Rush Oh, gold that, rush yeah, times. Gold rush yeah. times were brutal. Um, and Australia it was just such a huge part of, yeah, it's a big part of our history here, particularly in Victoria. It sure is. And I was just going to suggest, shall we cheers to the Irish? Absolutely. Chin, chin. chin. Boink. <laughs> I am um, a descendant of Irish heritage. I have, um, I'm from the family Ryan. Uh, so I have a bit of that. I think Georgia did, um, my younger sister did a, like a 23 and me recently. Um, Mm. yeah. And it was like, yeah, we were probably like 60% Irish, I think 30 something odd percent English. Um, but yeah, there's a fair, fair bit of, uh, Irish blood that lives in my family on my dad's side. All right. Anyway, enough of my 23 and me. Here are some little, um, you know, Tall tale or true, convicts among us. You can pick one, Dom. You pick one. Convicts among us, convict characters, learn the lingo, or tall tale or true. Which would you like? I'm so here for the learn the lingo. Learn the lingo. I find that so fun. Amazing. Okay, so here we go. The word is crappie. Do you do you want to take a stab as to what crappie might mean? And it is linked to what we've been discussing in this story. Crappie. Uh-huh. It's either 
something to do with ships or something to do with horses and um like spurring a horse on Ooh, or okay. is it a crop stick like it's a rider's crop croppy is the title of an irish convict Oh. Irish convicts were known as croppies because some Irish rebels wore their hair cropped short as a sign of sympathy with the French Revolution. Far out. Right? I would never. That's so cool. I know. I know. I've led you down the garden path a bit there, but it's always cool to just give it a guess. You've been bang on with the other two that we did in the last two weeks' episode. So, you yeah. know, two out of three ain't bad. That's a pass mark in my opinion. <laughs> C. Yeah, at least. All right, so that is chapter number five, done and dusted. Do you uh, want me to read chapter six? Well, you don't have a choice because I will. <laughs> I was going to say, there's been a lot of male energy so far, it Kate. Has, and there. if you could scrounge up a, you know, something with a little. Well, let me femme. just let me see here. I'll just see yeah. what I can. Yeah, swear, what have I got here? Oh, God. I've got a story with a woman in it. Yay. Here's the story of Mary Bryant. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the pod. Uh, Mary Bryant, she was born Mary Broad. She was born in 1765. I was about eight, nine years old then. Um, She was born in Cornwall in England. Her occupation, unknown. Her description is she was five feet, two inches tall, Grey eyes, brown hair, and a sallow complexion. Five feet, two inches. Um, That's like George's height, although she'd be super upset. (laughs) I don't think she's that. She always thought she was 5'7", or like Um, (laughs) 5'6". That's how tall I am, and I'm a good half head taller than her. So it's. Mm -hmm. um, I love that she, she's like, my whole dating profile's been a lie. I can't (laughs) believe I'm only (laughs) (laughs) 5'4". But she's okay now. She's fine. She survived that shock. Come to terms with it. She did. Now, Mary's crime was theft and assault. Ooh. Ooh. She was sentenced. Now, get this. She's sentenced to seven years prison for theft and assault. Old mate Billy Hunt took a, a handkerchief and was then sentenced to life in prison. Life. <laughs> get it together. Where's the consistency? Where is it? I don't know. Now, she was transported to New South Wales and arrived in Australia in 1788. And she escaped from Port Jackson. Here is Mary Bryant's story. We're in Sydney in 1791. Hurry, I'm Mary. Going to Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry, Mary, get on board, whispered William. Pass Charlotte to me. Is Emmanuel still asleep? Good. Lay him on those blankets. Push off, men. We're away. Mary squeezed into the tiny boat between her husband and two children. Seven convict men sat shoulder to shoulder. Crammed into the gaps between them were the food and supplies that Mary had been hiding away for weeks. Rice and flour, dried meat and sarsaparilla leaves. Cooking pots, blankets and water barrels. The boat smelled strongly of dried fish saved up for the journey by William over many months. Again, the preparation. I mean, it's not that, yeah, Dom's face is suggesting it's not going to smell great. He's not living for this trip. But the preparation. As the tiny boat set off from the shore, Mary prayed that it would carry them far away from this harsh colony to a place with proper streets and houses, a job for William and enough to eat for her family. In a bag on his lap, William nursed the precious compass, quadrant and maps that he'd managed to buy from a Dutch sea captain in the colony. 
Timor was more than 3,000 miles away. William had told his wife as he poured over the map the night before. They had a long journey ahead of them. But first they had to row past the guards at the heads. The men fell silent. The only sound was the gentle splashing of the oars breaking the water. Mary prayed that her three-year-old daughter and one-year-old son would not wake up and cry. She held her breath as the boat glided past the dark cliffs of the headland. They'd heard no shouts and saw no lamps being lit. Perhaps the guards were sleeping on duty. Or perhaps they were drunk on rum. There was a good breeze as the little boat headed north. William and another of the men hoisted the sails. The others put out their oars and, with groans of relief and stretched their tired arms. As the boat sailed into the open water, Mary undid one of the bundles of food and little Charlotte helped her hand it around. As the men ate, Emmanuel crawled around the bottom of the boat, getting in everyone's way, but no one seemed to mind. The men looked at each other with tired faces. They had done it. They had escaped. Mm. After two full days of sailing, the little boat was finally able to pull into a bay. They had travelled almost 70 nautical miles, William reckoned, squinting at his sodden map. Mary had barely slept. Her clothes were wet through from waves crashing over the side of the boat and her body was stiff from being crammed into the tiny space. It was a relief to be on land. They drank fresh water from the lagoon and William caught fish and collected some cabbage tree palm leaves for them to eat. Mary and Charlotte gathered pieces of coals with coal which they found on the beach. There must be a mine nearby, Mary told William, showing him a handful of the black lumps. Coal is a really lucky find. Yeah. It's super handy for a fire. Not something you normally find just washing up on the beach. No, you could get that nice charcoal-y vibe with the fish. Mm. Like a Weber, an old school yeah. Weber. Uh, she built a fire with the coal and some sticks, glad to be able to dry her damp clothes at last. When some dark-skinned people came out of the bush, Mary clutched William's arm nervously. She'd heard that the locals could be dangerous, but after accepting some gifts, they disappeared back into the trees. As the men checked the sails, Mary watched Charlotte collecting shells on the beach and tried to stop baby Emmanuel from eating sand. (laughs) (laughs) She felt a strange sense of peace. They were free, and soon their new life would begin. Over the next two days of sailing, the boat began to leak. Oh, no. First, small (laughs) holes appeared. They tried to fix them with soap and beeswax, but no matter how much they bailed, more and more water puddled at their feet. It was becoming dangerous and all Mary's precious soap was disappearing. She knew that they would, have to, they would have to land and fix the boat properly. This time, the local people threw spears. Mary grabbed her children and jumped back into the leaky boat. The men rode far, rode far out into the harbour so the spears could not reach them. The next day, they tried to land at another beach, but the people there also attacked them. They're like, guys, this is our own private beach, Okay. Leonardo DiCaprio is turning up soon and we want to keep it nice for him so he can join the weird cult and have someone get bitten by a shark. Um, At least they found, at last, they found an island in the middle of the bay and were able to land, repair their boat and collect some water. They headed out to sea again. William had hoped to navigate by following the coast, but this time a huge gale blew them far out to sea. For three weeks there was no sign of land. Oh, no tanks. No No thank you. Me no want. (laughs) They had no idea where they were or how they could get back. They ran out of food and were low on water. 
Emmanuel cried from thirst and Charlotte begged her mother for something to drink. Oh, that would be really tough. Finally, they found another bay, but huge waves kept them from landing. They decided to stay away from the surf and dropped anchor out in the bay for the night. Mary woke suddenly to hear her children screaming. The anchor cable had snapped, William yelled. We're headed for the surf. The men rowed with all their strength but could not turn the boat around. It was out of control, zooming into the beach. We're all doomed, cried one of the men. Really handy to yell that out. That's not very motivational. Not going to do much. And then the next person yelled, we'll be smashed to pieces. They put (laughs) down their oars. It's no use, they told each other. You cowards, I will not let my children drown. Row, you rotten cowards, row, Mary shouted. She grabbed a hat and started started bailing out water. The men watched her for a few seconds and then grasped their oars and steered the boat through the breakers to shore. About time there was a bit of bloody, you know, following leadership. Chutzpah. Yeah, some bloody, (laughs) some moxie. Um, Don't mess with Mary. She's on it. She's prepared. She knows what she wants. She knows where she's going. Yeah. Just do what you're told. I'm just looking at my book. (laughs) Because this just starts off with, I feel like I'm missing a sentence. Oh, (laughs) Helen, there's an error in this book between page 46 and 48. Because if I go to page 48, it starts off like this. It says, was autumn now, but still very warm. Lowercase, like it didn't start. But anyway, everyone was sunburned. Sometimes they found safe places to land and rest for a few days, but as soon as they put to sea again, they faced more gales. Their boat was swamped by huge waves. Their clothes were wet. Their food supplies were ruined. Charlotte was no longer full of fun and giggles. She lay limp and whimpering on her mother's lap. Emmanuel didn't even have the strength to crawl around the boat anymore. He lay still and silent on his rough blanket and just stared into space. Mm. At last, Children are not built for no, this built for type this. of thing. No. At last they came upon a coral island where they landed safely. Look, shouted William, turtles will have a feast tonight. The children helped Mary collect firewood. They left their dinner baking in the ashes as the family set out to explore the island. They found fruit and birds, but no water. Charlotte began to complain. I want a drink, she said. Charlotte is thirsty. Emmanuel is thirsty. Drink, Mama. Charlotte wants a drink. I'd be like, do you know what, Dull? Not now. Charlotte, not now. <laughs> Mummy's working on Have it. Have some rum. <laughs> Why don't you go and sit down, go on the iPad, watch Bluey, and leave Mama alone. She's finding the water. <laughs> I'm going to chalk There was that. a time, folks. <laughs> When you didn't have those sorts of things to... Those luxuries, uh... yeah, to help you out. <laughs> uh, they checked every corner of the island, but there was no fresh water to be found. Wait, said William suddenly, pointing at the horizon. Rain clouds! Mary ran back to the campsite and arranged her pots and water barrels to catch the rain. They'll never catch enough for all of us, said William, but I have an idea. Come with me, men. Rain clouds appeared overhead and the men took the sail off the boat. They spread it on the land like a small paddling pool and collected enough rainwater to fill their water barrels. The men oh. fell to the ground and lapped greedily at the water, and little Charlotte drank until her belly felt like it would burst. They killed and dried some more turtle meat to make to take on their journey. As they sailed around Cape York into the Gulf of Carpentaria, they were met by people who had long canoes with sails. Men with bows and arrows chased their boat away from the shore. 
After four days of crossing the Gulf, they landed in Arnhem Land. Here they rested and found more food. William checked the maps the Dutch captain had sold them and read his notes. It would be almost 500 miles to Timor. Finally, after almost 10 weeks after they'd rowed silently past the heads away from Sydney Town, the travellers arrived in Copang. They told the Dutch governor, Wan Jom, that they... Wanyan? Wanyan? W-A-N-J-O-N? Dutch? Wan Jom? Wan Jom? I mean, he's Dutch. He's not... I mean, he is Dutch, but he's a governor, so he might be a spy, like all the other governors in the story. A bit of a... They they told the governor that they'd been on a shipwrecked whaling boat and he believed them. Mary, the children, and the men were given clothes, small huts to live in, and lotion to treat their painful sunburnt skin. Whoa, I just did a little burp. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) Charlotte and Emmanuel feasted on mangoes, breadfruit, and coconut. They drank all the water they wanted. Mary watched them grow chubby and play in the sun with the local children. She hoped that all would be well. Dom. Wow. Do you want to hear what happened to Mary? Uh, only if it's positive. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's give it a go. <laughs> the convict's true identity was discovered and they were arrested and sent back to England. But fevers, <sighs> fevers were common in the area and on sailing ships ships and one by one mary's family died no after all of that that, i know first william then emmanuel and then charlotte (sighs) when mary i'm so sorry when mary arrived in england she was at first jailed g-a-o-l-e-d gailed but was then given help by prominent people and released. She is believed to have travelled back to Cornwall and was not heard of again. Her story was told in the newspapers and she became known as the girl from Botany Bay. Do you know, I've just done some quick sums. Okay. They travelled almost (laughs) 3,000 kilometres in a shitty little boat. With holes in it. With holes in it. No food, no water. And that's, I know, that's such horrible fate for them because that is, we've done some pretty intense survival stories before. Yeah. And to be able to go up that entire, through the Coral Sea, into the Gulf of Carpentaria, all that, that's, that is, wow. Sorry that it ended on a bit of a downer. Do you want a fun fact to try and peck yeah. us up a bit? Here's <laughs> a fun per- fact. Perk us up. Peck us up. I was trying to say pep and perk at the same time, so it ended up being peck us up. Here is some fun facts about women convicts. Almost 25,000 women convicts were transported to Australia. Almost two-thirds were first offenders. They could be assigned as servants or farm workers or be sent to female factories. Conditions for female convicts who came to Australia on the first fleet were harsh. Food in the new colony was scarce, infested with insects and often rotten. Blech. Rations were cut out, uh, were cut as supplies ran out. When the second fleet arrived, it did bring more food supplies, but also more convicts. New South Wales was a jail without walls in the early days and many prisoners lived in huts, meaning that women were easy targets of robbery. And I'm sure lots mm. of other things. 
Many female convicts were caring for young children in a new and scary environment. Some of the children who wandered away were lost in the bush or fell down wells. Jesus. Marriage was a way for a convict woman to live outside the female factories. Married couples were also more likely to receive land grants, which were rarely given to unmarried women. Men would meet the ships to offer places for servants and some hoped find a wife. Australia's first marriage ceremony took place within days of the arrival of the first fleet. American seaman (laughs) Jacob Nagel, (laughs) I'll never not laugh at that. I'll never not laugh at that. I can't help it. Nor should you. Don't Uh, you believe that. (laughs) American seaman Jacob Nagel sailed to Australia on the first fleet in 1788. In 1794, he reported that during a visit to Calcutta in India, he met two women convicts from the First Fleet. We do not know their names or how they managed to escape, but we can probably guess that they were stowaways. And we will likely never know the number of convicts who escaped by hiding on ships. Australia really was, like, built and started... Mm. On convicts, like we, it's like, yeah, I just, uh, it's so fascinating that there's more, more convicts than soldiers. And it's just, here you go. Let's just have a go at it. Uh Uh And, you know, aside from the fact there was an entire civilization here, an entire culture of people that lived in Australia, and then they're like, no, it's fine. Just send all the convicts there to ruin their country. It's fine. Mm. Now, Dom, here are some little bits and pieces. You can pick again. Do you want convict characters, convicts among us, how do we know, or try it? Try it. Try I it? haven't had to try it for a while. And you know what? I am so glad you picked this because this is a recipe for everybody. Now, (laughs) I love that. And this is a classic. If you attended a primary school in Australia, you have done this uh, at some point. It's amazing. Now, baking bread was a typical job for women, including convicts. Self-raising flour didn't become common until the later part of the 19th century. To make bread Mm -hmm. rise, some bakers used yeast, often left over from making beer, baking soda or bicarb soda, could also be used. In Australia, a kind of bread called damper was cooked in the ashes of a fire or in a camp oven. Damper is, you. I'm going to read the recipe and you're going to be like, yeah, but how does it, like, it can't be any good. <laughs> it's actually surprisingly good. And especially if you shit. add, it is so good. And you can also add some native Australian um, flora to it as well for flavours. So like lemongrass, uh, is that native to Australia? I hope so. Gosh. Anyway, um, I mean, eucalyptus, you can make a eucalyptus-y bread if that really floats your boat, (laughs) but you can definitely (laughs) add some, you know, um, yeah, um, stuff to it to make it taste good. But here's the damper recipe. You pour one pound of flour, one teaspoon of baking powder, and half a teaspoon of salt together with one cup of water. So nice and easy. We're talking about, you know, Great Depression recipes here. You mix with a knife, not a spoon. You put the damper into a round cake tin and bake in a very hot oven. 
So 180 degrees fan forced or 200 not fan forced for 10 to 15 minutes. Or you could do it in like three minutes in an air fryer at 180. (laughs) (laughs) I love air frying. Um, And then you would test it with a knitting needle or skewer, if you don't happen to have knitting needles around, um, to make sure that the damper is cooked right through. To find out, this is great, to find out how much one pound is, go to page 63. Okay. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Um, One pound is 450 grams. Oh, okay. Almost, yeah. yeah, It's like two and a half cups, 2.75 cups of flour. But that makes a really good damper. It is the best, especially when you're camping. Yes. I remember the first time, like, one of our guides showed us a few days into a really long hike on a school camp, and they're like, look, I'm going to make, because, you know, all you're living off is, like, soups and crap. Yeah. Having some freshly made damper is, with like, slather it with butter. Oh, Oh, my God. And especially when it comes straight out, especially if you bury it. Um, where the fire was, like yeah. in the hot coals, wrapped in foil. Oh, my God. So delish. Hey, Dom, that okay. is the end of our book for today. Yay. yay. Well, not yay that it's I mean, over. But... <laughs> no, I love that. Now, really quickly before I go, just at the back, it's got a little bit of information about Pauline Deves, the author, and Brent Wilson, the illustrator. So I'm going to read this out before we close out our episode. So Pauline Deves has been a teacher for more than 30 years with experience from kindergarten to college, including 15 years as a teacher librarian. She has contributed to many educational and children's publications and reviewed manuscripts for educational publishers. Pauline has published more than 200 magazine articles in Australia and overseas and written several books. She is a regular visitor to schools, presenting writing writing workshops for both students and teachers. This writing definitely did have a teacher vibe about it. I loved it. It was so, so good. And Brent Wilson. Brent Wilson is the illustrator of this book and he is an illustrator whose art is characterised by a playful mid-century aesthetic. With its bold colours, loose lines and jaunty characters, his work inspires (laughs) nostalgia. That's great. (laughs) Um, His work inspires nostalgia for the children's books and advertising campaigns of the 1950s and 60s. His illustrations regularly appear in major national publications and recently Brent illustrated the children's book Koalas Like Two by Shay Millwood, which was shortlisted for the 2020 Australian Book design awards there you go that is our tale of our dastardly rascally gifted geniuses or total goofballs convicts (laughs) (laughs) and that's mic drop for kate (laughs) book drop I was trying to see if I could find either of them on like Instagram or something. Yeah, social it would be so lovely to yeah to tag them and and pay respect because yeah, it's amazing. You know, I have just verbatim creatives. read this out and shared their create their creations. So yeah, I definitely recommend. Although I'm not going to have this book in my hands very much longer, um, 
because by the time you're listening to this, I will have already returned it to the library from whence it came and served my punishment like a champ. <laughs> Grin and bear it, like a convict, the <laughs> like convict, convict that you are. That's it. <laughs> well, thanks, Dom, for well joining done, me. Well done, Kate. Thank you. I've really appreciated your time in listening to my storytelling, and I hope our listeners have liked it too. Don't forget, just reach out to us. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like, and then just five stars. That's all we'd ask. That's all we ask. Five stars. Yeah. And guess what? And next week. What? I was just. I'm just jumping ahead because next week, Dom, it's your turn to tell a story. Yeah. You get a bit of a break, Kate, don't you? I do. I will get powered it out break. three weeks in a row. <laughs> it's been fun though. I've appreciated it. Yeah, I'll be I'll be uh, back on the mic next week, and we'll have a very special episode for everyone. So Absolutely. you'll just have to tune in for whatever magic that is. Absolutely, we look forward to hearing from you then. Hey, Dom. Hey, Kate. Love you. Love you. I love Boy. our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.